0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Animation Composed, brought to you by Squiggly Online Animation Magazine. In this episode we meet TV composers Ben Lockett and Gareth Davies. Hi there, friends. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Animation Composed. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Wes Allard. How do? Hi,
1: everybody. Welcome back. How's it going, Wes? Uh, very well, thank you, Ben. Not too bad. Plugging away with the music and things. Not animating, but obviously doing the music side. Um, yeah, well going going very well. And um, Recently just finished a short film, which was uh, quite a mammoth project, but um, very enjoyable. The music um, for a short film. Music for a short film. Um, I can't say anything about it at the moment, but um, Ooh, stay tuned for the future. <laughs> Maybe uh, next year that will be on the uh, the short film circuit. Uh, we will see. But uh, we'll we'll discuss more about that near the time. There we go. And how about yourself, um, Ben?
0: I'm getting back to the swing of things gradually. I'm all done with the uh, film that was being made in Wales. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. that's actually completely wrapped now. And spent the last month or so just being all married in shivs. So it's a a gradual easing back down into normalcy. And um, it's been very lovely. It's been a kind of, not quite a holiday, because it's been very full on. But it's sort of been a little bit of a break from reality. Mm -hmm. And so when you do that, inevitably you start to kind of miss reality. And all of its charming mundanity is like earning a crust so I'm, uh, you know, picking up some little bits and pieces here and there. It's weird because going back into freelance after having something that was a very routine thing with a commute, mm. so going back into that, like, ah, okay, my it's it's noon. I guess my day can begin.
1: <laughs> that was all be said for routine. Don't knock it.
0: No, I well, I liked it at the time. I wouldn't. I could have done with a slightly shorter mm. trip, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's something I could. I. Be up for doing
1: more of more sort of long term gigs, and back to the United Kingdom from your travels as well. So you know, it's ah, yeah, I've been uh,
0: gallivanting all over yes. the place. Well, to our place, <laughs> I guess. When this goes out, actually, uh, the Squiggly crew will have just been to Ireland. Oh yeah, so the uh, the Dublin festival, but right now that's in the future.
1: It's like all sorts of different time zones at once. This is, this is doing these podcasts. This is almost like an episode of Rick and Morty. It's kind of um, all these weird paradoxes and things that we're experiencing right now. Knowing that you know, this, is, this is happening in our present, but it will soon be <laughs> someone else's future, and this would have happened in the past. Indeed.
0: Very metaphysical.
1: That music is always timeless and eternal. Nice. I like that. Yes, I, I like that. Yeah, bring I like it that. round. And a boy.
0: Speaking of music. Uh, That little piece at the beginning of this episode was by David Kemp for the short film by Rekha called Love, which was very recently released online uh, via Vimeo On Demand, Uh, so you can buy it or rent it. You might want to check it out. Uh, It's a lovely film. In fact, uh, we spoke to Rekha about it in episode five of Intimate Animation, season one. We just put out episode five of season two. So to avoid confusion, it's the one from about a year ago. Uh, But yeah, she talks about that film. Uh, It's a really nice piece of work and a nice little uh, bit of music I thought we could kick things off with. David Camp, I think we featured in the original animation composed special. For this episode, we're going to be taking things more in the direction of TV production. I guess so far we've been mainly kind of doing short films and discussing sort of feature films as well. But one area that is also, of course, crucially important when it comes to music and animation is TV series. So we have a couple of composers who, uh, who do that kind of thing that mm-hmm. we'll be talking to today. But if you want to hear more from David Camp, visit davidcamp.de. Very busy fellow, worked for Studio A.K.A. Nexus. David O'Reilly, the Late Night Work Club, all sorts of people. Busy fellow. One of the things I think that kind of, I mean, it, it's sort of important with all kind of TV series is music and the role it plays. And I found that you get the music wrong. That completely buggers up the experience, uh, sometimes you get some pretty bold decisions when it comes to t v and music, like I don't really know if this show is really hit, but there's a live action series uh, in the states called The Nick, and it's about the Knickerbocker hospital at the sort of turn of the century, like nineteen or something very dark and brooding series uh, very- it's a bit like Deadwood, like it's sort of set around okay, the same time yes. as Deadwood. With that kind of tone, but like it's set in New York. So it's like what was going on in New York around that sort of time. But the music is like synth. It's it's very kind of punctuated, like arpeggio synth rhythms and things okay. like that. I would never have put that to that kind of subject matter or time period, you know. You would think of something with, you know, I mean, if it was going to be New York of a certain era, you would think of, you know, certain types of... um you know, band music or possibly orchestral music to evoke that kind of moody, brooding atmosphere. But yeah, that was something that really kind of struck me as like, what an odd, arbitrary music choice. But the more Mm -hmm. you watch it, it actually becomes very effective because it's so incongruous. Something I've been thinking about quite a lot recently, looking at, you know, various TV shows, animation and live action. But I guess animation is the one we should really focus on. What was this being? (laughs) (laughs) A squiggly podcast. (laughs) Well, yes. You know, I mean, one thing you mentioned um, just then, Rick and Morty. Mm. Now, that's a show that uh, has some pretty fun music decisions.
1: Mm. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. That'll yeah. stick
0: in your f- f- head for—I'll be like for five hours straight as I'm trying to get through my sort of household chores with a goodbye, Moon Man. <laughs> <laughs> Hell. But, it's, not again.
1: but it's clever. It's amazing because it, it, it's quite um, outlandish in the way I think they approach the music in there. But it's not distracting, um, no. it, and it, it works so well. But it's—it's it's not what I would immediately think of doing. It's kind of—I um, think they certainly put more into it than not I would consider if I was doing the music for that show. But it—it it, it kind of it just works but then mm. it it kind of matches the narrative the narrative is insane isn't it in rick and morty yeah. so um very clever but insane and maybe the music has to i mean i i'm a firm believer that the music it's main first priority is to drive the narrative and mm-hmm. to pinpoint key actions in in movement but i don't know, everyone has a different approach don't they
0: well, if you look at, like, the, that sort of early animation, like, the, the cinema animation, like, uh, you know, Merry Melodies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, Like, what Carl Starling would do, like, every little movement was so perfectly punctuated by a little uh, pluck of the strings or a little mm. percussive thing here and there. That was really just sort of wonderful. I think that those sort of... One of the main virtues of, like, the silent shorts like the roadrunner cartoons for example like were just like the music was just the character you know that was the voice of the show Mm. i guess they wouldn't have been considered shows then they kind of packaged them as shows later but certainly you know as you know short film composition and that's something that i think really kind of you know works well in you know you have sort of animated sitcoms like uh, i mean i don't know how i don't really remember how well it would have been used in like those old Hanna barbera shows because i never i don't really have a super concrete memory of a lot of them like i know they would have general music cues yes like you get in the flintstones or the jetsons or whatever but i don't think they were, they were super diligent about accompanying the characters on their sort of day-to-day activities but then you get around to something like the simpsons and then the guy who did the music for the simpsons who i think got fired recently oh really or, or or died, maybe one of the two. I'll check that out.
1: We decided petition.
0: It was. Uh, I was really surprised because he was. Um, yeah, fired after 27 years this August. Alf Clausen. Ah. Uh. I I loved his work on The Simpsons. Like, you know, I don't know what the reason is. Let's have a look at the article.
1: So this article was published on the 30th of August. So uh, a little while ago.
0: It's it's fairly. I guess just before this new the latest season started, or around the time. Uh, last complete score for the season finale of season 28. chaired and May. They couldn't keep him around for 30 years. <laughs> Sated for October 1st, so they've started the new season. It's
1: basically down to cost cutting. Like, uh, what, I, what I can tell from it.
0: Yeah, Klausen uses a 35-piece orchestra every week, something that was insisted at the start of the show by Matt Groening. Uh, so musician costs and stuff like that. Yeah. Ran into millions of dollars a year. So, uh, what are they going to replace it with?
1: Well, we can give it a go, Ben, can't we?
0: That's that's a shame, really, because that that was such a, a strong component of why it was such a standout show. Yes, me and Steve have had very very long conversations about the Simpsons, so I'm sure podcast listeners don't need to hear me waxing <laughs> any more about what I liked about the that first decade of the Simpsons. I would assume that you you were a fan also, or at least a.
1: Oh I, yes, I I was uh, sorry had my dose of simpsons watching uh, or overdose of simpsons watching shall i say um yes i even d- used to dress up as bart simpson when i was a child so yeah i was quite into it my
0: introduction to the music of the simpsons was actually nothing to do with the show did you ever have the record uh, the simpsons sing the blues
1: um i had a well i had a record with various simpsons songs that may have been that one I don't know if I've still got it. It
0: was the, the absolute definition of, like, a, a cash-in, <laughs> like, cynical cash-grab piece of merchandise. It's this album that um, is basically various characters in their season one-slash-two voices, so they haven't quite developed mm. yet as themselves, uh, singing covers of R&B music, basically, <laughs> and a couple of original songs. It. Michael yeah. Jackson wrote a song called Do the Bot Man, which was, like,
1: yes, well, the yes. single. And that
0: was, I think, to all us six-year-olds. That music video was all The Simpsons was for a lot of people for a while because a lot of us didn't have Sky. And I think the music video was directed by Brad Bird. Oh, really? If not him, someone quite big who who went on to be, you know, quite big.
1: I seem to remember Steve mentioning something like that. He would know. Um, he probably uh, would.
0: <laughs> I would put money if- on him knowing... <laughs>
1: Or he's screaming, he's, he's screaming at us right now in the future when this is now, when he's listening to this, because it's this obviously happening in the past, and saying, no, it's not Brad Bird. What are you talking about, you idiots? Um, or he's saying, yes, well done, it is. <laughs> well, why are you questioning it? Leaning but, back
0: um, in his chair, sl- silently, you know, slow clapping our uh, our efforts.
1: <laughs> I, I recall now because there was do the bump and there was deep, deep trouble. That was another one which was very good. There was one with Lisa, with her playing a saxophone with this. Uh, what was his name? There was a, there was a character who played saxophone and taught Lisa to play and things. A bleeding gums. Yes, and there was various others, but ah, uh, moaning Lisa blues wasn't it? Moaning Lisa blues. Play on words there. I'm sure it's something like that. But anyway, mm. I have to find that record.
0: It's very nostalgic if you had it at the time. I I would. I really do wonder what it would sound like to someone who like, is is a younger fan of The Simpsons watching it now, they'd probably be a bit, like, baffled by it. Like, why does Homer sound like Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> for one? <laughs> and then when I actually sort of started watching the show, I remember being sort of surprised at that, because we would only get to see the show every once in a while, like, if we'd go to, like, Center Parks or someplace <laughs> that had Sky. And I do remember being quite surprised by the opening theme, how sort of lusciously composed it was and how Mm. orchestrated it was. And then sort of throughout, you know, that very kind of orchestral filmic approach to the music, but a much better album I have, uh, I probably still have as if it didn't get it, (laughs) um, is music that Alf Clausen did for the Simpsons and his actual songs from the show, Mm. which are inevitably a lot funnier because they're actually written by, you know, the, the script writers and ridiculous, but sublimely ridiculous. Like, um, the Stonecutters anthem, and, um, or we just like little things. The Mary Poppins episode, you remember that one? Oh,
1: God. How many, what's, what season are we looking at there? Uh, within the first 10 years. It's within the first 10 years. So it's basically
0: they get a nanny who's Mary Poppins, ostensibly. Um, <laughs> and so all of the songs are sound likes of Mary Poppins songs, but just the degree of love that goes into composing them, just making them, I think, mm. legally okay. <laughs> to to not have to pay, you know, Disney, you know, little plays on the the words, the lyrics, the and just the harmonies. So yeah, that's uh that's a bit of sad news. Uh, again, it's a I don't really rate current Simpsons. I don't regard it as the same show. So, yeah, I not mean. But it's it's you you would hope for a bit of consistency for the people who've really been in it from the beginning to kind of get to work on it the whole run. I'm assuming they're going for 30 years and then they'll, they'll mm-hmm. cut their losses. But maybe they're going to go for 40 at that point. Who knows?
1: But, but coming back to the the Simpsons theme tune again, yeah. uh, and this might be an obvious observation, but uh, often in in pop music today, or this has always been in pop music, there will be a key change towards the end of the song to kind of renew interest, and it will go up a key generally, mm-hmm. And it kind of makes the song feel new again. Now, when you listen to the Simpsons theme, I don't know about you, but I always feel like I'm listening to it for the first time. It's sort of. I have that same excitement, when I, same excitement when I listen to it, and I think it's because they have these constant key changes. It's always going up and up and up, and getting higher and higher. Mm. And the theme is played over and over again in in, a, in a sort of in different variations of the theme or derivations of the of the theme. And I think it's that that kind of gives it this kind of whimsical, kind of warm, happy sort of feeling when you're listening to it. And always this kind of feeling of newness, and you know, oh, what's 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 going to happen, and it kind of. It kind of almost makes you feel like you're watching it again for the first time whenever you hear that theme. But yeah. maybe it's maybe that's a nostalgic thing. I don't know. Perhaps it's a bit of nostalgia because it reminds me of your youth. I don't know. It's uh, could be many things. Hmm.
0: Well, the original theme wasn't Alf Clausen; it was Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, and I think that 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 what you've just described is is very like uh, that describes an awful lot of Danny Elfman's body of work around that time. Yeah. From like Pee-wee through to like Nightmare.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yes.
0: You know, if you think about Edward Scissorhands, has a lot of like when they kind of are going through suburbia. You know, like they come down from the mountain or the where uh, the, the they come down from the hill <laughs> into the kind of very yeah. domesticated um, suburban yeah, sure town, and it's uh, it's very kind of like wonder and light and color and newness, like him experiencing hmm. this world for the first time. You know, and you know, again, like Pee we had all sorts of. There's a guy who did Raymond Scott-esque wondrous sort of contraption soundtrack music. You know, like mm-hmm. as he's making his breakfast and then going on the adventure to find his stupid bike. I didn't like that film particularly, <laughs> but uh, the music was great in that one as well. It was it was almost it's it's kind of childlike, and I do think that possibly Danny Elfman maturing as a composer, as far as me being a fan of his work, didn't really. Do him any favors? Mm. Not that he particularly needs me to be a fan, but like I always liked the goofier music he did better, you know. That kind of, that more like kind of bonk 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 bonk, you know. Because mm. it had that, what you were just describing in so many of his pieces that, that, yes, excitement yes. of, oh, what's happening, you know. Beetlejuice, mm. uh, another one very kind of similarly sort of constructed, the opening sequence where it's going over the model sequence, the model, sequen- uh, model city but you just don't get that kind of stuff with his music these days i haven't found
1: yeah i do i do yeah there was there's, there's definitely a lot of yeah it'd be interesting actually to swap some of the music around between those shows and just see if it still fits because it's mm. yeah there's, there's there's certainly a theme that carries through in his work with 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 all composers but maybe yeah maybe that's that 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 whimsical sort of um exploration of different colors and newness is maybe, maybe it's just i don't know what yeah. appealed to me at the time um, but yeah yeah that's certainly a sort of characteristic of Danny Elfman's music isn't it? those sort of periods
0: did you ever listen to Oingo Boingo
1: no I don't think well I don't think so
0: that was uh, that was his band in the, the 80s oh okay, um, okay. it was a, like a synth pop band that was, <clears throat> it's interesting because his, his, he has such a distinctive singing voice. He he sings like he sings in The Nightmare Before Christmas. So, oh, so. <laughs> when you listen to Oingo Boingo songs, it sounds like that character. Almost, it's hard not to picture that character.
1: Oh, I see. Huh.
0: I, I really wanted to like it. I wasn't that crazy about... His style of writing, I think, was always much better complemented by an orchestra because you would get these kind of pop rhythms that you ordinarily don't associate with an orchestra, especially in film music, you know, and when it's just sort of coming out of like a keyboard or a, a drum synthesizer or whatever, it wasn't quite as, uh, oh wow, it started in 1972. So you've been at it for a while. Um, it wasn't quite as, um, captivating, I suppose. There's some mm. fun stuff. I know Laura loves a lot of those, those old tunes. Uh, very Frank Zappa-esque. Oh, okay. Uh, I say, Noting that Wikipedia has <laughs> mentioned Frank Zappa, I'm like, that's who it reminds me of. Thanks for doing my thinking for me, Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, you'd know weird science actually. That was like oh, one yes. of the things. That's that was bingo, boingo.
1: Oh, I see. But yeah,
0: I actually um, I saw Danny Elfman do a show. Uh, I guess about five years ago, he was doing a tour of specifically music he'd written for Tim Burton. Oh, okay. Which yeah. was like that's that's the show you want to see <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're me, you know and and realistically an animation fan so he didn't do the simpsons unfortunately but he did do some you know lots of great uh, pieces of music from like you know i mean all of all of the the good ones you know right up to like big fish i think Oh, okay. um so mars attacks nightmare before christmas he sang some of the nightmare before christmas songs which was great uh, yes, yes um right. and you know edward scissorhands all all the all the classics and there was like a kind of slideshow of uh production art and stuff that tim burton had done for
1: various films that was a nice kind of little detail well coming up in next year or the year after there'll be tim burton's dumbo ah which i believe danny often is doing the, the his composing the music for so that'll be interesting i think it's going to be a live action um version i think Yeah. um but yeah so the 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 partnership continues
0: be, i mean that sounds like something that could maybe be an excuse to go back to his roots um, yeah. musically but yes. then I mean I, I thought that about Frank and Weenie and, and Corpse Bride as well and they they sort of you know there are moments that remind you of the old Danny Elfman and that like I I, I really had high expectations for the Corpse Bride score when it came out like I was looking forward to that more than the film because I, I so love The Nightmare Before Christmas as a soundtrack and it wasn't I, I don't find it a horribly disappointing soundtrack I I did f- It left me a little cold in the sense that it just seemed like, you know, a nicely thought out soundtrack to a little fantasy film, but it didn't sort of grab me by the, you know, cojones the way uh, (laughs) the Nightmare Before Christmas, like that Nightmare Before Christmas infected my brain for years, you know, but then I was nine years old. So there's that as well. Like we, we take in things much differently when we're kids. We,
1: yes, we do, we do. Oh, anyway, yeah, I think in the the new Dumbo film, it's uh, when it comes out. As long as he, um, yeah, I think it's an excuse to go back to his roots. As long as he avoids some of the racist undertones and some of the original Dumbo music, he will be okay. That is um, probably
0: a good thing. But, <laughs> uh, but,
1: um, yes, but that's, that's, an, that's another maybe that's another episode we could do.
0: Was that um,
1: racist animation music?
0: <laughs> oh, there's plenty of that. Oh, uh, yeah, it's, it was bad when. Um, yeah, you're watching uh, something from uh, <laughs> the early '40s. <laughs> Buy bonds, kids, and Bugs Bunnies and blackface. Oh, Jesus Christ, Bugs!
1: Why? But I mean, then again, I mean, there'll be other things in the future that we'll look back on that may be acceptable now that won't be acceptable. For example, I mean, I mean, you could you could argue not just the animation industry, we could go into the game industry, we could go into live action film, but I think we could agree that there's a lot of sexism in animation. Mm-hmm. in the way females are are uh, basically portrayed um yeah. not, not you know and um maybe it's getting better there's good examples of tv animated series where where people have moved away from this that that idea um i think it's getting better but you could argue back exactly in the history of animation that there's a great deal of sex- sexism and hope maybe that one day we'll see an end to that but uh it's still happening
0: I think also women are getting more of a voice in TV production as well. Hmm. I think Rebecca Sugar, like, was a big, not necessarily a pioneer, but I do remember that being a bit of a a game-changing thing to sort of bring her in with her and have her show be one of the most sort of successful ones. Mm -hmm. With apparently one of the worst fan bases. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, you you should look into, like, the toxicity of the Steven Universe fan base. They're f***ing vicious. (laughs) Really? But I think they're mostly teenagers, so it kind of makes sense. But that aside, the intention behind this show is good. I'm sure most people <laughs> who, who like it are more of a reason. Because it's that it's little clump of people on the internet mm. who really like to dig their heels into a show and take it way too seriously. Mm. That being said, all that aside, of course, you know, she's a very talented woman. Um, she did a show that has obviously resonated hugely with a lot of people and in, in a way that has taken on a lot of very topical social you know, and gender issues, and I think that that's a good sign for the future TV production wise. Speaking of TV for kids, mm. another Cartoon Network show mm-hmm. that is one that people adore: The Amazing World of Gumball. Mm. I, I, everyone I know who watches that show likes it. It's just, it's you know, I don't even watch it religiously, but if it's on, I'll always watch it. It's it's just <laughs> a fun thing to look at and take in. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I understand that.
0: So that I guess brings us to our first guest in this episode, the main composer for The Amazing World of Gumball. Of course, it's a very mixed-media show, and music has a very, you know, important role to play in it. You know, it has musical numbers, it has, like, songs, and sometimes sort of moments of very filmic, emotional, orchestral beauty, Mm -hmm. I think. Like, something that is really sort of surprising when you consider its aesthetic, perhaps, its its perceived audience. Uh, Here's an example of some of Ben Lockett's work for Gumball to show off what I'm talking about. This is a piece called The Hole. When you watch the show, it's so dense and it's so fun and it just cares so much about itself, but not in a pompous way. In a, it, it, it clearly cares about the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's absolutely reflected in the music. The composer is called Ben Lockett and he's from Australia uh, and he's been in London for about a decade or possibly more. But uh, yeah, his main sort of gig, I guess, is um, doing music for Gumball. I think if you've got a gig like that, you want to hold on to it. <laughs> His music was, uh, according to his bio, uh, he was nominated for an Annie Award. He's also, uh, what we'll also talk about is music he did for the TV special Revolting Rhymes. Oh, yes. Magic yes. Light did. If you've listened to the main podcast, I talked to uh, Michael, who produced Revolting Rhymes, back in December of last year. That was a wonderful like, approach to adapting those stories. You know, Roald Dahl, he's considered pretty sacrosanct when you sort of touch his work, you got to kind of do it carefully. Mm-hmm. I think Revolting Rhymes did a really good job of taking those stories on. It was funny how much of it... I, uh, did you watch the Revolting Rhymes special? Well, I, d- I don't
1: think I ever saw a complete episode. I, I've seen bits of it, oh. but I've never actually managed to... I've, I think I've just sort of... It's been on, and I've turned the TV on. And I've watched a bit. But I've never actually watched... Uh, I must admit, I've never actually watched a full episode, but I obviously I was I loved Roald Dahl books when I was a kid. I thought they were amazing. And no. in fact, they were... His books were really quite adult, really, I think, as kids' books oh yeah um and I think he did write some books that are more for adults, i believe but anyway um yeah i'll i have to watch it to see how uh, see how that adapts. I have read the um the, the book the revolting rhymes book some mm. time ago, so uh yeah be interesting to see how that translates into the medium of of uh, television yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> now, I was surprised at how much i like remembered i ha- I probably hadn't read the book since I was about ten. Mm. But, like, I, when I did read it, I, re- I I would read his stuff over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how like, you just remember stuff as it happens. Yeah. So I imagine it's been quite faithful to the original poetry. A bit of contemporization. But Magic Light is so good at just taking these kids' stories and, and just bringing them to life. And I think with Revolting Rhymes, it's probably required the most bringing into the modern age. But, yeah, no, it was really nicely done. Anyway, so so Ben Lockwood also did the music for that. Uh, there's a soundtrack for Revolting Rhymes That's available, I think, now So we'll hear a couple of excerpts from that Lovely But we'll also mainly talk about what he does for Gumbel So, uh, yeah, this is uh, Ben Lockett
2: And then eventually I kind of got going with the music again. I kind of had a little bit of a break, I remember. And then um, I realized that's what I should be doing, basically. And then eventually I got going and I did a lot of adverts for quite a while. Um, which is kind of the unwritten apprenticeship, a little bit, I think for composers. The one thing you do learn on it is how to um, how to work really closely with picture. And so I think by the time I then moved into animation, uh, which was kind of more of an accident than anything else, because I'd actually worked with Pete Candyland, who did a lot of the gorillas stuff and all that kind of thing. And I worked on an advert with him and then he said, I'm doing this pitch for Cartoon Network. And so I worked on that as well. And that's actually when Cartoon Network had the development studio. And at that point, um, so you know, Ben Show, Gumball, happening. But well, we was still in its early phases, of course, but there are all these guys pitching all these different things, so I kind of just ended up going down the river of the animation thing a little bit, you know? And then it kind of went from there, really.
0: So, there yeah, was there a... Um, well, I'll say a good... Just going to the uh, the show itself. Like, yeah, sure. It a very ambitious show, visually. Yeah. Was there kind of a pressure to kind of have the music
3: match that level of
0: everything? Yeah,
2: constantly, because, like, Ben and Mick always throw something really odd in a musical sense like it because it's 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 we move a lot through genres basically so uh, for some reason it's Ben and Mick just assume that oh Ben will be able to do that and sort that out and then I go away and I panic a lot um, and think how i am gonna I don't know find a hip-hop player and an opera singer in the next three days and you know so it moves and, and you know the production schedule is really quick as well so you're constantly you know, trying to churn it out and uh, I think that's something we've kind of narrowed and got into a good rhythm after the first couple of seasons so we've kind of been a good pro- process with that really.
0: Yeah. A lot of animated shows tend to have a sort of series of cues that get reused a lot. Yeah. The impression I've gotten from this and having seen the episodes that I've seen It does seem that each episode seems to have its own kind of set. Does it usually require like an individual score each
2: time? I think it's only relatively recently that we've actually started to reuse, you know, cues, just incidental music, because of the kind of kind of wide open way of the genres all kind of interact with each other. We kind of have a few core things that we stick to, but you know, you never know what's coming up. Mm Basically, so each episode does tend to be tailored to whatever the guys have kind of got going on this time. Having said that, you know, there's a few kind of standard things that seems to be a bit of a pattern. You know, the third act of the episode is probably going to be an action sequence, so you know, you bring out the the usual kind of fare, unless it's a kind of you know, in the orchestral sense and that stuff. But unless it's kind of something where it's like, no, we don't want to do that. We want it to, you know, a whole different genre of music or something. So that might happen. But you <laughs> so usually each episode needs to be pretty tailored to each thing.
0: Uh, yeah, saying, like, he kind of had a specific song in mind for his sequence,
2: I guess, like he played Yeah, that's right. I can't remember actually but who but chose the reference music, the Devo track, yeah. and um, uh, whether it was Ben or Simon, actually, that actually. Kind of originally came up with that idea, but it did really marry well to that almost kind of vintage era of skating and stuff that you know Simon was going to work on. So that really, but that really excited me because uh, I don't know because you were at the thing weren't you and, and you saw that photo of my studio and you know we we I've got like a two inch tape machine the whole thing so that whole piece of music I went. I wanted to just get it as authentic as possible, so it was all recorded live and all down to two-inch tape, yeah. the whole thing. So it has that natural drift in it when it's playing back. Because, uh, you know, try and give it some authenticity, at least, so you can hear the natural tape compression and all that kind of stuff. Do yeah.
0: you have any, like, really challenging moments on the show, like things that are really...
2: Well, it feels weekly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a constant mild set of dread. Um, Usually the challenges usually come, it's not so much the music sometimes, it's usually the schedule, because you're kind of having to think about, oh we're orchestrating that and then in the ma- in the background another two episodes have come in and then therefore suddenly I'm thinking, right, okay I've got that going on and then I need to sort out that scene that's got some hip-hop music in it and I need to find the guys that are going to rap on that and then so all these things are happening suddenly at once and so sometimes there's this Everything's kind of pushing to this one moment where all the, produc- the production schedule's in full swing. So, usually that's the main challenge as opposed to a kind of musical challenge. But the thing is, if, if there are musical challenges, I guess it's the temp music thing, which I think composers always suffer. you know, Because, of the, you know what's like, the temp music's just right and everyone's in love with it, you're, it's over before it begins. In a way, you can't please it. And um, yeah, you're in trouble. So that's probably, that's, yeah, that can be an issue. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I know that was quite a big bill. Yeah. I mean, is that um you can say that's one of the most sort of satisfying end results? Have there been others where you are just really happy with how it all came? I was
2: happy yeah, I was happy with that because it seemed to it seemed to marry nicely. And um because there's a lot of times where, like I say, again, going match to the, the schedule, you do have to let things go a little bit. And I think that happens across the board, no matter what you're contributing to, maybe a show like Gumball. But you But you do get a sense of, do you know what? It's working and it's functional and I have to move on. And I think, because that's a deal with composers, you're kind of in that thing where you're never quite satisfied, but you're also, you're working with the kind of, the creative side and the technical side and just allowing reality just to kind of push you through really you just have to get it done so there's loads of things where i'm thinking i missed it really i didn't quite do that or you know but that's the nature of the beast
4: if i'm not mistaken another project that you did which we also covered
0: recently was revolting
2: rhymes yeah that's right right. is there anything sort
0: of different about that approach or unique
2: yeah i think well I think that came from a. Um,
4: <coughs>
2: I won't say a traditional place, but you know, it was. We knew that, unlike say Gumball, where we were going to perhaps do several different genres in a over 11 minutes, you know, um, something like that. You know, it's more treated like a feature in a feature sense, like because it was, you know, was it two half hours, so you could really stretch out and treat it that way, and. Um, one of the things that Jacob and I were really really trying to pin down was just getting a few key melodies for the characters and that was something that we do that on Gumball but with Revolting Rhymes because it had more of a a feature perspective to it, you knew that you could develop an arc musically and we also knew that you know, it was it was going to be a completely orchestral school. So straight away, you know, I knew where I needed to be in that sense, in a kind of genre sense.
0: If I'm
2: working with an orchestra in general, is it, is it nice, is, it, is, it a bit, is it a intimidating? Is it? I think it's, uh, I would say, that, and actually I, I, I put this in the sense of it could be an orchestra, but it could also be something completely different, a brass section, or it could be just a bunch of musicians all about to play some kind of thrash thing. The thing about it, and with the orchestra, is that when you get a bunch of people in a room playing, it's it's still not, and you know. Thankfully it's still not something that's replicated it can't be replicated and because of that energy that happens there's something else that happens when you get people together. And, um, and I, it's, it, I think it's really wonderful to see the orchestra now used and the resurgence um, across you know features and TV. It seems to have come back again and it's still really present in this in what makes up the sound of TV and drama and you know animation and all the rest of it. Um, that is the best thing, and and also there's the kind of magic from the composer's point of view where it's it's alive and that's the moment you've been waiting for. you
4: have on the boil coming up?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's two things. I mean, I've got season six to focus on with Gumball, and I'm only at the very beginning. I've written the first cue, which I'm really excited about actually, because that's going to be a big sixties brass band very old school sound so I've just and very just started the writing of that I've got, I think I've got an approved version of that so I'm very, at the very beginning um, and we've got we've got more than 40 episodes this season so there's a lot of there's about a year's work coming up now I'm at the bottom of the mountain but outside of that I'm also writing um, a kind of EP as well with uh, a friend of mine who was in a band Coves which were a British band um, which are great really good band, and he he we both kind of had a moment where his band was fi- was winding down and I was in a bit of a window between doing different projects and we've just been getting together doing that. So we've pretty much finished that and I think that's going to be released in August. That's the plan. The, oh, the other thing is going back to Revolting Rimes. Um I'm going to re-enter the studio to remix some of the score and we're going to do the score release of that in the next couple of months as well. So that's something else that's happening. Because we've just done three live shows as well in Dublin uh, for the Rolling Rhymes. Is that
3: played like a projection then?
2: Yeah, so that's uh, that was at the National Concert Hall in Dublin. And so um, three shows, and yeah, sit down and watch the film, and the orchestra was there doing, playing the score. And so that was really exciting. So hopefully, um, through the back of that, there'll be some more shows coming out perhaps throughout the UK and beyond actually. That's the plan.
0: Thanks to Ben Lockett chatting with me at this year's Annecy Festival. It's part of a amazing world of Gumball junket. And uh, there's a bunch of other interviews from that junket that you should look out for on Squiggly. I spoke with Simon Landrigan, who was one of the guest artists on one of the episodes. And also the fantastic team at Blink, which includes Simon Cartwright, the director of Man O' Man, and Becky and Joe, who do those wonderful terrifying puppet shows don't hug me i'm scared they've done an episode of a gumball recently
1: oh have they oh yeah it's really great i don't know if it's oh. come out in
0: the uk yet but you can see clips online um oh wow but yeah look okay. out for that interview as well uh it was just great to talk to so many people involved in the overall production of course ben bokele was there as well so thanks to ben lockett for uh, for talking to me as well his website is benlockett.com Revolting Rhymes is out now on DVD and iTunes, by the way, and Ben's soundtrack recently picked up the award for Best Original Score at the Sapporo Film Festival in Japan. Also worth mentioning that both Revolting Rhymes and The Amazing World of Gumball are competing for the same BAFTA this year, so Mr. Lockett, it would seem, is something of a good luck charm. Revolting Rhymes will get its own soundtrack release at some point soon, hopefully December. Keep your eyes and ears open for that. Before we move on to the next interview... Here's some more music from animation composers some of you might be familiar with. Last episode, we had some of Ephraim Luekinger's music for Annette Melitz's work. And here's another cue of his for her hit film Analysis Paralysis. This is Anton's Search. Ephraim Lukinger there? Check him out at ephraimlukinger.com. Another composer we featured heavily in the last episode is Mathieu Alvado, who has a pretty substantial filmography under his belt at this point. Here are some cues from a goblins film he scored called Who's Afraid of Mr. Greedy? Mattia's work in our interview in the previous episode of Animation Composed or go to his site at MattiaAlvado.com. Squiggly readers and listeners will know I'm a big champion of the work of the NFB and its co-producers, among them Pappy 3D, whose films include work by Frank Dion and Sarah Van Den Boom, both of whom we featured on the site. Their composer is Pierre Cahier, Someone whose work I've been a big fan of for a good few years now Through his work on Frank and Sarah's films, as well as others uh, We'll hopefully be hearing more from and of him in coming episodes But in the meantime, I wanted to include some of his work by way of introduction To those who might not be familiar This is a track from his score to Frank Dion's The Head Vanishes Titled Jacqueline La Tête Which translates as Jacqueline Loses Her Head Uh-huh. <laughs> Beautiful stuff from Pierre Kaye there. His website is pierre-caillet.fr, and you spell Kaye. C-A-I-L-L-E-T. You can also learn more about The Head Vanishes in our interview with Frank Dion. Just head on over to the interview section of squiggly.com. Another NFB production we covered recently is Owen Duffy's film, I Am Here. In fact, he was our guest in episode 73 of the regular Squiggly Animation podcast, if you're interested in learning more about that film. And with rather splendid timing, I'm happy to say it was released online this week as the latest in Cartoon Brew's CB Fest in association with Short of the Week and the National Film Board of Canada. It's quite a spectacular film with music to match, and the score was composed by composer duo Joseph Murray and Ludovic Voss, known together as Medalon. Other fabulous films they've scored include Randall O'Keefe's The Weatherman and the Shadow Boxer, there's another director interview you can find on Squiggly there, as well as work by Amanda Strong, including Four Faces of the Moon and Sol Friedman, such as Sundarts winner Bacon and God's Wrath. So here is their musical accompaniment to Owen Duffy's I Am Here. Menalon with their music for Owen Duffy's recently released NFB short I Am Here, as well as working on new projects with their previous animation collaborators, the duo have been working on the Vice documentary series Cyberwar, now in its second season, and the upcoming Mr. Tachyon from Director X. You can check out their work at MenalonMusic.com. Shall we hear from our next guest?
1: Oh, we can do, yes. Yes, why not? Silver. Our other guest is a composer, uh, Gareth Davies. And uh, uh, two uh, TV shows, or animated TV shows that he has done recently, uh, is Scream Street, which is on uh, the CBBC. Uh, it's a kind of a uh, uh, horror comedy, I would say, is as a, as a fair way to um, describe the genre. And Everybody Loves a Moose. Now, um when I was chatting to Gareth, which you'll hear about in the uh, in, a, in a Short World interview with Gareth, one thing I want to be, make very clear is that the this, the shows are very different, but the way he approaches the music, I think, is quite different. It's very clever the way he does it. Um, Scream Street, um, what, he's, what he's doing very cleverly is he's describing horror, um, but for young children. And I think that's quite a task. Um, if, if you were going to basically do music for a school for a horror film, um it's pretty quite easy to go in and say i want to make this scary you can't make it too scary but you've also got to make it you've got to make it horror but you've also got to make it fun and 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 you've also got to have a, a dose of comedy in there and i think he, he does that really well and the way he um explores the character themes is just uh really good and everybody loves the music is just insane i just love the music it's um really fun um it's just throwing everything at it and i think that's brilliant what he's done um but Gareth, um, he's also does, uh, other music work. So he's got a band called Band of One,
4: mm-hmm.
1: which is, uh, which is Gareth on his own, hence, uh, Band of One. So he produces everything. He does all the singing, all the instrumentation, and, uh, he does a lot of music for sound libraries, which has been used in various sort of TV anthletes and things. Um, so he's, yeah, he's done a, he's done a lot of work. Um, and I think we can see a lot more of him in the world of animation. I hope so. Um, cause his, his work's brilliant it's nice to see someone who's, you know, producing their own music and also working in the world of animation. Excellent. Well, it's nice to have that um that flexibility, I think. So, yeah, let's have a listen to Gareth Davies. Well, thank you for coming on today, Gareth. Before we, uh, we go and discuss uh, animation music uh, in greater detail, uh, tell us a little bit about, about yourself and about your musical background.
3: Okay, well, um, about myself, I, I grew up in South Wales, uh, so lots of uh, orchestras and choirs and... Um, learning a lot through school and uh local music service and uh, so um having lessons through through that um i went through the grades on piano so growing up uh and my my big brother was and still is actually a bass player so it was natural for me you know being a little brother want to do what he does <laughs> um and get into bands and start gigging and and that kind of thing as well so um yeah, so so that was growing up. Uh, I then went to Kingston Uni to study. Actually, I started on music performance, but um, it it really I don't know what it was that just didn't resonate with me. But um, I switched after a term. I was lucky actually to switch after a term to the music technology course. Um, but that was that was 1991. You know, we're, we're talking when uh, hardware was huge. Yes, <laughs> and. Uh, yes uh so there a lots changed since then um and and you know thank thankfully for people like us where we can have equipment at home and uh, not take over the whole house yes so uh so yeah uh that that's really where where stuff began
1: you've obviously got have your band band of one
3: yes yeah yeah that's well, that's been going that really uh has been going since i became a composer uh and since i started um uh, on TV series, and it was just a way of—it was really self-indulgent, really—to to, uh, to uh, do something in between episodes that wasn't to a brief. Uh, so it was just purely for fun, uh, and I think you've got to retain that, haven't you? Uh, you I think people uh, in this in this job, certainly, uh, or any creative writing uh, working to briefs uh, all day every day, tend to kind of forget who they are sometimes and 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 so i thought it was just a bit of fun made me remember uh you know i can experiment with sounds and um just have fun with uh uh, just writing and being creative
1: i think that's um that's very important as a composer as as an artist or a creative person to sort of um to stay fresh and have that room to experiment yeah uh, and develop your own ideas so that's a you know, that's a brilliant uh, way of doing it. Um, so how did you get into the uh the the world of animation? How did you how did you sort yeah, of yeah, it was
3: that? well, it, it it's a funny question this because um it it sort of feels like um animation found me. I've never really um been someone who's aspired greatly to a certain area of music, but when I became a com- a professional composer back in uh, 2011, I, I didn't really have a clue about whether I wanted to be um, uh, writing recording or writing to picture or, or what, you know, I just wanted to, to be making music um, so basically I, I'd done a, a short film a live action short film um, with uh, an actor friend of mine, Joe Riley, who's a talented chap and very active actor um, after that My wife was working at a company called Ho Ho Entertainment. You might have heard of, Mm. um, with a chap called Oliver Ellis. um, And uh, one day she comes home and says that Oliver has been scratching his head about a series he's been developing, and wasn't her husband in music, and could he maybe send in some ideas? It it was really that casual. So, um, so I did that, uh, developed some ideas, um, not. I, I don't know quite what I was expecting, but I thought, well, you know, it's a, an opportunity. And suddenly we're bouncing ideas backwards and forwards. And um, and about a month later, uh, I'm invited to a production meeting and introduced as the composer, at which point I realise I'm the composer. <laughs> so uh, it, it really, it, it was that kind of random. Um, and I, I think it's something that people don't quite realise. They think it's you know, a bit more straightforward applied to this job. And, it, and it's really not, you know, uh, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, th- there is an element of who you know, but it's also has to be backed up by what you know. Uh, but you, you, you do tend to to find your own path in a way, don't you?
1: Absolutely, yes. You know, being in the right place at the right time, but also developing perhaps a, a certain voice or a certain style or... Um, that that makes you obviously interesting to a person who may have a project. That's obviously right. So things sort of fall into place um, quite out of the blue sometimes. Yeah. So there's um two shows that you've worked on: are Scream Street and Everybody Loves a Moose. I thought yeah. first we could talk about Scream Street a little more, which is for sure. C- CBBC. um And uh, I thought before um, maybe we discuss that we could have a, a listen to. Uh, a clip from that. So um, yeah, go for it. This is a uh, a moment from the episode called "The Uninvited," and uh, this is an extract of your music. Uh, you can tell me more about that in a second. We'll have a listen to that. Lovely piece of music there so um yeah tell, tell us more about that how did you uh how did you approach that part
3: oh right okay for that particular episode um well the the episode has um poltergeists in it i mean a, a series like scream street you're gonna have poltergeists in there somewhere and actually the uh there, there are some fabulous poltergeist characters uh like the the poltergeist um the ghost bin, bin men Mm. Uh, so you, you can just see the bin lids going past, and not the, <laughs> and they're invisible. Yes. Um, but no, this this particular scene, um, yeah, the there there's the theremin in there, which obviously conjures the the, the kind of poltergeist uh, imagery. Um, but also uh, harpsichord for for Rhesus. Rhesus is being carried off by the. The, the poltergeist, so mm-hmm. so that's his instrument yes um and also that kind of uh, dramatic um it's a moment of uh, a moment of jeopardy we don't know what's going to happen to him so it's quite frenetic um and uh, uh, it was it was really to to create that kind of atmosphere where um, mm-hmm. it's it's exciting but it's it's dramatic and it's frenetic and you don't know what's going to happen.
1: Okay, so you, you mentioned, obviously, Reese's instrument, which is the, the harpsichord uh, yeah. you can hear playing. Um, maybe we could actually, let's have a listen to uh, to Reese's theme. And um, uh, and this one, uh, which was from the episode Nightmare Neighbour, I think is where, where, uh, right, yeah. where, it, where it fits in. Um, let's just have a listen to that. And then we can, uh, everyone who's listening can, can see the similarity. So, in fact, um, every every character has their own sort of unique theme, yeah. uh, which is unique to them and, and really kind of explains and describes the character's personality and sort of how they behave. Um, you've got all these different themes of music, but there has to be a continuity, obviously, when writing for a, a TV series. Um, how did you sort of establish uh, a template or a sort of uh, constraints or rules to sort of to define these? How did you sort of go about that?
3: Yeah, well, the production team on Scream Street... Um... I think liked something I did from the uh, the blind audition um so there was this jumping off point straight away um I, I then sat down with uh, Phil chalk at factory and uh Jeff Walker, the director um Jeff kindly gave me some some references um which uh you know you don't necessarily just copy references, but it's useful to to know what some' uh someone's thinking. Uh, thematically Um, and I could also hear that the the production team were really really good in voicing their opinion but there was no kind of overbearing voice so it was really nice to kind of take everything everyone's opinions in like a sponge and then get some ideas out Um, uh, but you know generally I think they were quite interested to see what I came up with first and then go from there Um, also actually the um, the initial idea, uh, the initial idea of having an orchestral heart, um, I, I spoke with uh, Phil about, um, because the, the the whole production was so it seemed so cinematic to me, um, the the size of the sets and uh, it was looking around those sets and the the amazing models that they have, um, that I suddenly thought, wow, you know. The, the, it seems cinematic, so to have a, a an orchest- orchestral kind of heart to it uh, I think would be good, and then to shoot off into different styles for the the different characters and locations and things.:
1: <laughs> well perhaps perhaps we could listen to a few more a few more character themes. Uh, probably most importantly, Luke, uh, who's our sort of main protagonist, isn't he really in, in this yeah. story. Uh, let's have a listen to Luke's theme. I and mean, this is not my interpretation that you've kind of used his his theme to sort of almost anchor uh, an anchor for the music it's kind of almost it sets a sort of a uh, a constant to which whatever yeah. bits of music can be can be variable ver- to his piece does that is that does that kind of make sense
3: well that's that's really interesting to say that um yeah yes of course um luke kind of is the central character uh, and he's probably the most uh, in inverted commas normal um of of the cast in a way apart from his parents um so we were trying to put across that he's this kind of uh normal teenage kid who's been put in extraordinary circumstances um but also uh when I started out I thought because we have the main scream street uh theme da 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 that you know that those four notes, really. So I wanted to mess around with those four notes and introduce those four notes into as many people's themes as possible. It didn't work with everybody, um, mm. but certainly for Luke, though it's those four notes still. So he's he's kind of part of that Scream Street DNA, mm. so to speak. Um, yeah, and Jeff, when we sat down, uh, he was. When he gave me references, he he mentioned the white stripes, um, and you know having that stomping uh, bass drum and the and the kind of dirty bass guitar, uh, so that that was a good good reference point as well, uh, just for that kind of sense of adventure.
1: And also, um, Luke is a werewolf, um, and you've uh, provided me a a clip I can use for the a uh, scene when he transforms. Mm. Um, so Let's we'll, we'll have a listen to uh, to that whenever Luke gets angry. That's just... This is a wonderful uh, uh, piece of music here. So, the music when Luke transforms is a, a lot going on in there. Um, let's look into that a bit more. You've got some sort of vocal uh, accompaniment in there as well, haven't you? As, he's, as he's transforming. as is transforming. Yeah, quite interesting.
3: yeah, bizarre. I mean, yeah. Once you get into something, it's I. I tend to throw everything in, and I, I'm I more take things out. To <laughs> but that initial burst of, you know, let's have a bit of this and a bit of that, and it's kind of throwing things at the wall, um, and seeing what sticks. Um, and especially something like this, where it just needed to be—it's that point where Luke's um, rage kind of <laughs> hits that peak. Um, so you—you know—we've got—we've got brass in there. We've got uh, the the tremolo strings, um, but mm-hmm. but also these real big punches, which I, I basically mess around with. I tend to um, get uh, space designer out in Logic and uh just mess around with stuff uh and try and try and uh, come up with just these weird <laughs> weird sounding reverbs and delays and all sorts um so yeah i i i probably couldn't tell you how things kind of originated but <laughs> it's all it's all coming together to to produce this 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 glued together sound um which uh, yeah 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 it's uh, hopefully reflects his rage at that point.
1: That oh, certainly does, certainly does, and and it's 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 sci-fi, isn't it? It's science mm. fiction. You can um, you can go mad, um, but also essentially you're writing you're writing horror for kids, aren't you? Um yeah. Did you find that quite tough? Because obviously you could have taken it um, <laughs> right to the extreme of being terrifying. Absolutely. But it can't be too terrifying because people, kids, have got to be able to watch it.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a fine line, actually. Uh and this is where the production team were brilliant, uh, because I would get uh notes back saying this is too terrifying or this is not terrifying <laughs> enough. And and actually, you know, it it was everyone was there to to get the best sound for the show. Um so it was really good to have that feedback. Um and actually a, a conversation with Giles Pilbrow, the showrunner. Uh, really, uh, kind of reflected what we were trying to do, which was to have horror exist right next to comedy, and uh, it's an unusual combination. But it, it if you if you can switch um, from horror to comedy just like that, it kind of works. But you have to be prepared to just totally, uh, totally switch, and, and and you know with both feet in. Um, so yeah it it is a fine line and uh you have to appreciate the audience um and it, yes it took a few people to uh, on the production team to kind of debate where that line was but I think we we mm-hmm. came up with something that was um suspenseful uh, not too terrifying but sinister in places <laughs> actually another thing that Giles uh came back to me on a note um it was when i was coming up with the theme for otto oh yes um and so uh originally i made otto's theme uh, rather more evil <laughs> and uh and i got this note back from giles saying he you know he's underhand but he's not the devil <laughs> we don't want uh, kids to be you know <laughs> hiding behind the sofa um so yeah it was just little little notes like that um, so we ended up with this kind of sneaky theme for Otto, and of course, with mm. tuba to reflect his. his
1: <laughs> yes, well, let's have yeah. a listen to his his theme. And yes, I suppose when you're, uh, yeah, you're writing a theme for the for the villain, essentially. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's I it's you kind of want to kind of. Uh, to take that as far as you want, but I suppose obviously it's, it's comedy and it's for kids, so I suppose you've got to absolutely you've got a hold back. He can't be too yeah, he can't be too evil. Yeah. And also, um, maybe it's good to listen to Cleo's theme. Oh uh, ah, yes, uh, yeah, I, I think that really reflects um the balance between sort of horror and comedy. She's you know she's a mm. mummy, uh, quite terrifying. Um, uh, but you know it's it's a kids TV show. The other uh, animated TV series uh, that you've been working on is Everybody Loves a Moose, uh, which is quite a contrast to Scream Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe we could listen to the uh, the wonderful theme tune that you wrote for that, and then uh, we can we can talk more about it. So t- tell me more about that theme tune.
3: Yeah, well, I mentioned about um, about Oliver and I bouncing ideas backwards and forwards. Um, mm-hmm. The way I I approached it because I'd I'd never written for uh, kids TV, let alone kids animated TV before. Um, I, but I had been a primary school teacher, so you know I'd, I I had. Uh, spent a long time developing songs with the kids in school you know these were perfect everybody loves a moose age um so it's really it, it was for me trying to create uh, a kind of earworm that, uh, that the kids would remember um so it was it had to be repetitive it had to have just a few notes um and and that that's it <laughs> so uh yeah, I, I think I think I achieved that. Um I suspect yeah, yeah, I I I I, uh, I was quite happy with the result. Um but actually the the vocals uh, when I did those I naturally assumed that uh, one of the characters would be singing it. Um but that didn't happen. Uh and suddenly it was in the show and I thought, "Well, okay. <laughs> there we go then."
1: What I really like about it is, obviously, with, as, as with any um, music, especially music that you want to be memorable, um, it needs to be repetitive, um, but it, mm. you need to have a balance between being repetitive and a bit of variation. And I think what's nice, because there's a lot going on in there, you can listen yeah. to that over and over again, and you can you can hear something different every time. Um Great. And you can yeah, hear good. it a second time and find something new about it. So it doesn't get dull, it doesn't get boring, um, yeah. which is obviously a, a worry when you're writing a, a theme tune um, or any yeah. sort of loop music um and i think that really achieves that well so
3: um. thank you yeah it's it's something that i try well i i love melody so i'm a, a melody uh, nerd almost um <laughs> so so to have a counterpoint in in music to me is is really I, I don't know if it's just how my brain works but to to balance other melodies against melodies and and but not to overbear them uh I, I love that. Uh, it's a bit like doing a crossword, I suppose. Um, so hopefully there's a there's a bit of that in there. Um, but also I was encouraged uh, by, uh, there was a UK consultant on Everybody Loves a Moose called Jean Flynn, a um, mm. uh, very talented lady. And she uh, was encouraging me uh, to just do, do things that I might not normally do. Uh, so I ended up blowing into... bottle of water you might (laughs) next time you'll hear that um so there's 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 a little rhythmic blow into a bottle (laughs) uh and all you know little springs and just all sorts of like you say things that you you will hear uh every time you 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 listen to it uh, there'll be something new so it does Mm -hmm. counteract the the repetitiveness
1: I think what's yeah. nice as well as well with the with the character themes you've got uh, you've got Jack and you've got the moose as the two main characters, um, and they both mirror that theme and they they're a variation of it which which also keeps mm. which also reinforces the theme tune that um, keeps it fresh as well. Um, maybe let's have a listen to um, Jack's theme and then uh, compare it with the moose's theme. That might be quite interesting. Okay. So yeah. uh, here's here's uh, Jack's theme. great and uh now let's somehow listen to the moose's theme <laughs> so uh, how how did you uh, how did you approach those those two lovely pieces
3: okay well moose's theme is really the the theme tune um so that that to me was really straightforward um, it just needs to reflect the theme tune uh, Jack's theme was a little bit more uh, guided uh, I was um, mm-hmm. and actually Jack and Luke and Scream Street they're two ordinary kids put in extraordinary circumstances really so they're, they, they're more kind of straightforward um, uh, teenage type themes for, for, for these kids um so yeah, there was the electric guitar in both. Um just more of a kind of a, a pop pop sensibilities in, in in there. Um But of of course, with Moose everything's more exaggerated. Uh it, mm-hmm. if you watch a few I, I watched a few episodes recently and I was actually quite tired afterwards because <laughs> it 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 moves along at such a pace. Um and you know, with with Scream Street, you're you're jumping from horror to comedy. Um, with with Moose, it was just everything. You know, things switched. E- you know, ten times quicker. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so the, there's that that comedic timing really to to hit that get those hit points. And um, so everything's really exaggerated. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. if that's answering <laughs> the question.
1: <laughs> no, no no, no, no. I think that's um. I think that's answered that. I mean, yeah, as as your role as a composer, obviously, you, you're there to uh, to help make the the visuals be the best they can be. You're there to compliment yeah. them, and, but not to overpower them. And I suppose yeah. also you've got to pinpoint all the key moments. And with yeah, with everyone loves a moose, there's so much more going on movement wise. So um, yeah, you know, you have to. There's more you have to explain uh, or, or punctuate uh, through the music. Um, yeah, but I, I imagine yeah. it was a. Although it sounds like um, a lot of work, I imagine it was also a great deal of fun.
3: Oh, it's it, it was exactly that. It was a lot of work and a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And it, it's one of the things I love about um, writing for kids animation um, is it, that it, it is so exa- exaggerated, um, and you can start really with a hit point and write a whole scene around that point. Uh, so you can work up to it. You can fall away from it. Um, and there's also uh, in in animation generally, I think there's a rhythm that you you don't always get in live action. Um, the way the character mm-hmm. moves or the, the tempo of walking or, or running is more consistent. Um, so it's easier to plot the tempo of a scene uh, and and things like that. Um, but yeah, just uh, the, the the whole uh, the the rhythm in animation is really appealing to me
1: and and talking about um exaggeration um is a, a theme for the moose uh whenever he's sad and i think oh uh, yes i think that's oh, um, yes. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's that's incredible let's just have a listen to that if really uh try to exaggerate the music as much as you can there and really sort of um, oh, yeah. really ham it up and I, I love that
3: yeah it was a, a my first thought was um that um the company making moose was Italian so he had all these Italian uh, uh animators and uh, Italian Italian production company and uh I just thought it was a nod it was a nod to that this kind of almost kind of godfathery <laughs> uh you know it, it was just yes yeah, so exaggerated and so uh uh kind of cliched of um having this really sad theme but um really kind of emotive and uh yeah yeah so that appears in every and every episode he's always s- sad <laughs> he's been a bad moose um so yeah, the it, it it was quite formulaic in that way. So you you get to this point, and then they discover, oh, actually, it's not so bad. We can work through this. Um, but yeah, that that's always the the really emotional. Oh, I can't do it moment for the moose.
1: <laughs> no, that's no a wonderful piece. Um, all lovely pieces, and it's nice um, that we that we've been able to discuss two um, two shows that you've worked on that are really very very, very different um both both obviously comedy yeah. um yeah. very different styles of music and um it's mm. it's great that you've you know how it demonstrates you know the importance of that consistency but also that variation um uh, within within a sort of a theme that describes each show um so no, thank you for that to finish off uh, today Gareth um we have our student animators who um who listen into our show and um uh, obviously a lot of them are looking for um music composers or musicians and things um could you offer sort of any any advice to sort of you know aspiring filmmakers when they're looking for someone to write their music for um sort of how to go about the process of of working with them or any sort of tips you could give them
3: okay um well yeah i don't I don't get asked about that side of things uh, so much it's more kind of um composers asking, oh, how do you get opportunities? But I suppose it's the same, but the other way around, isn't it? Um, Yeah. yeah. I I recently went to the Children's Media Conference in Sheffield, which is uh, Mm -hmm. uh, basically full of everyone to do with uh, kids' media. Uh, It's a wonderful playground, really, to to go and uh, be in an informal setting and meet people and network uh, informally. And it's really about... Uh, building relationships—it's um, getting in the same room as people. So if you go to film short film nights or networking events, where anywhere you can meet and start to build those relationships uh, with people, where you, you might be relevant to each other one day. You know, um, it, it doesn't happen overnight, but um, it, it's it's uh, planning for the long term, isn't it? It's uh, one eye on the future, mm-hmm. and um, so that's really really the, the, the best way to do it and keep going you know no one else is going to do it for you so just get in there and get stuck in
1: oh brilliant stuff yeah. well thank you very much for today gareth um it's been a, a pleasure talking to you about um uh your contributions to the uh the expanding world of animation
3: thank you very much thank you
1: I, I don't know if you if you're allowed to say anything but could we expect anything more from you in the uh the future uh animation music wise
3: Ooh, uh yes absolutely <laughs> um and of course, whereas I can't tell you anything, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a couple of pitches to start. And, um, uh, I've also been collaborating on, uh, a, a great series idea, an animated series idea from, a, a, funnily enough, a fellow Scream Streeter, a storyboarder called Richard Smith, but you'll have to ask him about that it's his idea um so the, but again this is how it works you know you you meet people and suddenly you're you're (laughs) uh plotting the future and and seeing how you can help each other um so so yes i'm i'm kind of at that point now um we're uh about to have some more um some brand new scream street episodes airing uh in the autumn and um So, But yes, I am totally in love with kids' animation uh, and would love to do some more. So uh, I'm all up for that.
0: That was Gareth Davies. Thanks very much for talking to us. And uh, you can check his work out at garethdaviescomposer.uk. There are links to all his various projects there. You can also find the music for his band band of one at band of one that has everything grouped together. It's also on Spotify, iTunes, the whole shebang. But yeah, Gareth Davis is the main website. Check it all out there. In fact, why don't we have a little listen to one of his uh, band of one tracks? Ooh, okay. Get a little sense of what he does outside of the uh, the TV stuff. down Too Many Moons by Gareth Davies' Band of One there, and you can check out more over at bandofone.bandcamp.com. So thank you very much for joining us for uh, the latest episode of Animation Composed, and thank you to Ben Lockett and Gareth Davies for being our guests, and thanks to all of you for listening. Without you, it would be the proverbial podcast falling in
1: the forest. It would just be us having a conversation. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for helping me out. I'll be seeing you at Manchester probably between uh, now and the next episode. Oh, I hope so. The uh, the Manchester Animation Festival. Swing by if uh, you're in the area, because it looks like a lot of fun. Go on to Squiggly. There's uh, some info on some of the animation. Well, obviously animation. Jesus Christ, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) There's an article on some of the highlights of uh, uh, what to expect, including the indomitable Squiggly quiz. I'll also be doing a Squiggly showcase with some wonderful films that aren't playing elsewhere at the festival. It's going to be lots of fun. Lots of fun. So yes, you'll see us both there. Say hello. If you want to come up and give us some critical feedback on, on the podcast, (laughs) we're the handsome ones. That's how you'll pick us out.
1: (laughs) Easy to, easy to spot. Yes.
0: We're the ones who stride about the place cockily and (laughs) self-assuredly. Well, until next time, um, have a good life.
1: (laughs) And, yes, happy listening.
0: Uh, yeah. See you all soon. And to close us out, here's a bit more of Ben Lockett's music from the upcoming Revolting Rhymes soundtrack. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs>